Our scripture reading for the day is taken from 1 Corinthians. It's uh, chapter 1, verses 17 through 31. If you want to turn to that, if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 618. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 31. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified." a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus." who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. As we begin this morning, I just want you to pick up this verse. Proverbs 26, 11 says this, Like a dog to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Pretty explicit, pretty graphic picture that Scripture paints about those who make the same mistakes over and over and keep going back. And, and uh, the good news, uh, the flip side of that is that we worship a God who's gracious and He's forgiving and He's long-suffering. And even when we make mistakes, He gives us second chances and third chances. And, and as we look this morning, as we get back into our series that we're in, we're going to look at uh, this idea of the people of Israel, God's people. We've been going through this big series, uh, overview of the scripture, and we see how they make mistakes over and over and over, and they do the same things again and again. And where we've been the last couple of weeks is because of that, because of their rebellion, because of what they've been doing, God allowed them to be taken into exile by the Babylonians. So what happens is Israel is a mess. They split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom gets taken out. The southern kingdom gets taken out by the Babylonians, and they take people back. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been in that time. We looked at the book of Ezekiel, 
We looked at a passage of Ezekiel last week. Chris took you through a good portion of Daniel. Both of those happening in exile. The people have been taken out because of their sin and their rebellion. And so this morning as we pick up our story, as we look at the big picture of what's happening in Scripture, we see the people returning back to the land that God's promised them. The restoration of coming back. And they're, they're getting a start over, a do-over in, in, in some ways. They're, God's allowing them to come back. And so we're going to see what they do as they come back, the steps they take to hopefully not repeat the same sins and the same problems again. But before we get to that, I want to just catch you up on how we get to our passage this morning. And our passage this morning is going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8, which it says in your bulletins if you're looking. So to it page 258 in the few Bibles if you want to follow along there. But to get us to Nehemiah 8, let me just give you quickly how we get there from the people being in exile in Babylon, that is a, a foreign nation where they're, they're not like the people we saw Daniel, who's faithful in that. Uh, Chris talked about that last week and his friends and how they're faithful even in that situation. And about 70 years after they're taken into exile, just as God promised the people come back to the land. And we see God's sovereignty over all nations, and that's happening. We see that in the book of Ezra. Uh, Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah are all the same period. We're going to look at Nehemiah today, but just to get you to that, in the beginning of Ezra, what happens is the Babylonians have now been defeated by the Persians, and their king, Cyrus, allows some of the Jews to start go back to go back to the land. So although Cyrus is not a believer, God uses him. He's sovereign over all nations, and he allows them to return. He says, yeah, it'd be good for you to reestablish your temple and your religion and your things, so go do that. And he lets them go back, and they go back in ways. And so under Ezra, they go back and they start to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. So they're starting to restore what was taken. They're going back and getting that start over. And so that happens. And the book of Esther is somewhere in this period as well. Uh, In the Persian Empire, there's there's a, a plot to get rid of all the Jews, and God raises up Esther, and she becomes the queen. And she speaks up for the Jews, and God saves them, saves the people of Israel. And then he works through that. You see his sovereignty even in that situation. And then we get to Nehemiah. And what happens in Nehemiah is the next king comes along in Persia. His name is Artaxerxes. And he allows Nehemiah, through Nehemiah's boldness, he steps up and he speaks up. And God allows Nehemiah to go back and begin to build the walls of Jerusalem. To restore the cities and restore what they used to have. And, and to us, that's a little bit... Uh, not quite as important as it would have been to them we say restore the walls. What that meant is, is putting up, kind of fortifying the city and getting the walls around it so that they could have independence, so they could be their own uh, nation again. And so the, the starts are there. And so what happens is that allows all this to happen in Ezra and Nehemiah and a guy named Zerubbabel goes along with them and they do all this stuff and they get everything set up. And so when we get to Nehemiah chapter 8, the temple has been rebuilt. The walls have been restored, and it all kind of settled. The people that have come back, and not all of the Israelites come back. A lot do. Some do. They come in waves, but it's not all of them. But those that have come back are now resettled in the land. It tells us at the end of chapter 7, they're in their towns and they're settled. And then we get to chapter 8, and this is the first thing they do as a group. So as we think about what it's like to, to not return and do the same mistakes and do it over and over, this is what they go to do to hopefully cut that off. And so that's where we're going to be this morning in Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 if you want to follow along with me, and then we'll look at that. So this is the first thing they do together as the people as they're now settled in the land. It says, All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, 
And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood, I'm just going to say, a bunch of guys stood to the right and a bunch of guys stood to the left. And the first four. And then verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, and for he was above all the people, and he opened it as the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also Jeshua and Benai and Sherebiah and Jamin and Achab and Shabbatah and Hodiah and Messiah and Kalita and Azariah and Josabad and Hanan and Kalilah, all who were the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. And they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribes and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, and eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the Lord is your strength. So the Levites called all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. Let's pray and then we're going to look at that passage together. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for what it teaches us. We pray that we'd be faithful to it, that we would uh, uh, clearly give the sense of what it says here this morning. Uh, we just ask that your spirit would be here to move in this place, to apply this to our hearts, to open our minds, to understand it, because without you we are hopelessly lost. And so we just ask that you would come and guide our time here this morning, that it would be in keeping with your will, and that you would be glorified in it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this this morning, this is going to be real straightforward. Uh, as I often do, we usually ask questions. These questions are very direct and right to the point this morning. Is what did they do? How did they do it, and what happens as a result? So what did they do, how did they do it, and what happens as a result of what they did? And so when we think about what did they do, the first thing they did together is they got back in the land. God has restored them through his graciousness and his faithfulness and his moving through nations. He brings them back to the land. And if you look at verses 2 and 3, it says, So Ezra brought the law before the assembly, as he brings out the Bible, what they had. He brings the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who can understand it on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and all those who can understand. And all the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So what we get is the first thing they do is they gather together and they read God's word. God speaks and they listen. 
That's what they do. They get together, and as we've been walking through our overview of Scripture and talking about what God does and the way He reveals Himself and what He's doing, this really should be no surprise. This is what often happens. This is what He tells them to do over and over. If you go all the way back before they're taking the land in Deuteronomy, way back, right before they ever go into this land to begin with, this. Moses stands up in Deuteronomy and preaches a couple of sermons before they go in. That's what he tells them over and over. Read God's word. Let it be on your lips. Let it be in your hearts. Teach it to your children. Don't let it depart over and over and over. We see that all the way throughout Scripture. That God speaks and we need to be listening. And what we see, big picture throughout Scripture, is when God speaks, things happen. God's word is not just some words on a page. It's living and active and it's the way God moves and it's the way that he restores and he redeems and he gives life. And so it's, it, it makes, it's no wonder that that's what they do as they come together. They're, they're centered on God's word and they speak and they listen and they gather together. And they gather together for a long time because they started in the morning and went until midday as they gathered and he just read and the people listened. And so you see the importance of God's word here as they gather together, as they return to the land. That's the first thing they do. They say, we need to get together. And please, as the people ask, read us the word. We want to hear from God's word. And so they do that. And so we see the importance of God's word right here as they return. If you have any questions about the importance of God's word, to me, one of the the best uh, answers for that when you look at scripture is if you go and you read through the Gospels and you look at Jesus' view of scripture. I say that a lot because it's the most convincing, compelling thing. As Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ was God come to earth. God puts on skin and comes in and steps into the story. And when we watch Jesus and the way he speaks and the way he is of God and the way His view of Scripture is very telling. What you find when you read through the Gospels is every time somebody questions Jesus, or they come at him, or they try to trick him, or they whatever, he always says it is written. That's the way he answers. That's the way he answers the temptation in the desert. When Satan comes to him and he offers him different things, and he says it is written, it is written, it is written, he always says that. That's what he's always going to. And you see Jesus going away and reading Scripture on his own and, and being in it, and you see him constantly. Sometimes he'll say, uh, they'll have one little variation, people will try to trick him, and they'll say, you don't understand the Scriptures. That's how you're saying it. You don't understand the Scriptures. And so he always makes that appeal, and he's always going back. And so we see clearly that God, uh, is what, how important Scripture is in the life of Christ. I can't make the point any clearer than that, the way Jesus holds it, the way he sees it. But maybe today you think, well, I'm not even sure that Scripture is God's Word, or Jesus is, is really the Son of God, and I'm not sure about the Bible altogether, so me making an appeal to go read the Bible to see how Jesus holds it may not hold a lot of water for you, depending on where you are. And we don't have time to go into all the things of, of how wonderful God's Word is, and how we should hold it, but let me just give you briefly this. If that's you this morning, and you're skeptical of God's Word, I want you just to think that this is a book that was written over a period of 1,500 years. There's about 40 different authors, human authors that God uses, and they come from all different walks of life. Some are shepherds, some are kings, some are fishermen, some are doctors, some are real religious guys, all different. And God uses them over this span of 1,500 years, and they're writing in all different places and all spread out, most of them never coming into contact with each other. Most of them not knowing or conspiring together, but yet it unfolds this beautiful picture of how God loves us and he cares for us and the way he's moving down through history and these promises and how they're fulfilled and prophecies.
over and over, and it comes together perfectly to just fill this beautiful picture. And so oftentimes people say, well, the Bible's kind of outdated, and it has regressive things, or it says this, and we can't believe that now. And so people will say that a lot of times. In my personal experience, is most people that say that have not read the Bible. They've heard somebody say that, or they've heard a couple passages, or, oh, look, this contradicts this, or whatever, and they haven't actually gone to look. So I just simply say this morning, if that's you, and you have questions about this being God's Word, and you have real doubts about it, don't take somebody's word for it who says, oh, it's this or it's that. Read it yourself. Take the time to look through what it says and how it goes together. That's why we're here as a church. We would love to help you in that and answer those questions. There are texts that you'll come to that are sometimes hard to figure out exactly what's going on. Well, that's why we're here, to help you with that and to look at those. So just don't dismiss it. I just ask that you don't dismiss it based on what someone else says. We see even here as we look this morning how important this is. That as they come back together, this is the first thing they do. They gather together to read God's Word. So that's the first thing. What do they do? They read God's Word. But then the second question I want us to ask is how do they do it? Because that's just as important here. We're going to see that they read God's Word, but how did they go about that? Look at the end of verse 7 and verse 8. And it says the Levites, the Levites being the priests from the tribe of Levi, they're, they're the priests. And it says they helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So Ezra's up there reading, and the priests are going around, and they're talking, and they're taking questions, and they're explaining it. So you know, and it says, verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave them the sense so that the people understood the reading. And so what happened here, what they did is they gathered together, and how they did do it is they did expository preaching. We say that a lot here. If you've ever heard that before, that's what we do here. That's what we're about when we gather together and when we open God's Word. Expository preaching is a fancy way of saying they gave the sense. They explained what it means. They read the Word and they explained it. That's what they did. And that's what we do when we gather here together each week. So hopefully this isn't a surprise to you that we do this, but that's where it comes. God's Word, this is how they did it. They got together and they read it and they clearly explained it. And so that's what they were doing. The how they did it is the priest stood up with them, and as Ezra was reading, they clearly gave the sense, and they went through and they were explaining what it means and how to apply it and doing that. And that's what we try to do when we do expository preaching. Expository just means explaining. And that's what we do here each week. And now sometimes the objection will come up that you don't have to do expository preaching to get to what God's Word means, and there's other ways to do it. We talked about it in Sunday school a few weeks ago. We were talking about doing this and why we do it and uh, sometimes it comes up the objection, I read an article not that long ago that, that instead of preaching we should be more two-sided, it should be a dialogue instead of someone standing up and telling you what God's word says. And as we were talking about this in Sunday school, we watched a video, we were talking about uh, Dr. Mark Dever, a uh, pastor uh, was talking about this and he said the reason we need someone to stand up and clearly just tell us what God's word says is that we're simple and we're broken people, and we need to hear from God. We need God's Word to come to bear on our lives. And so we need to hear from God's Word clearly, and we need to see what it says and how it applies. And so that's part of the answer to that objection. Well, why do we need to do it that way, or why do we have to do it like that? And the reason we would say is because we want to make God's Word as clear as possible. And that goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning, because that's how God acts. It's the way God moves. It's the way God is working. When He speaks, things happen. 
So we want to be as clear as we possibly can from what His Word says, what God has spoken to us in His revealed Word. So that's why we do it like that. Uh, you know, the sad part, I've, I've had to deal with that. We, we've really emphasized that the last couple of years. And we've been saying that a bunch. We're going to be expository preaching. We're going to pick a passage and we're going to go through it. And we're going to talk about what it says. And we're going to look at the passage together. And some people have left because of that. It's too much like a Bible study. It's too much Bible. I would like some more stories and some more anecdotes. And I've actually heard that multiple times. I want you to do more preaching and less teaching. But when we look at Scripture, that's the way they did. That's what they do. They open God's Word and they clearly go through it. When you read different sermons in, in Scripture, you know people go, "How about some more jokes? Make a little more jazzy or whatever." whatever. However you would say that, um, jazzy. I guess I like hands. Uh, but uh, so you do that, do that that way to, to whatever. And, and, and I think about the different sermons in the Bible. There's a lot of sermons. You know, in Acts, you get the guys preaching a lot. They're just going through scripture and they're telling what it says. Or you get to Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a sermon. It's a letter, but it's a sermon letter. And when I read through Hebrews, and by the way, Hebrews is all about why Jesus is greater than everything. He's greater than the law. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the temple. On and on and on. I can't find any jokes in there. There are no jokes in it because it's all about who Christ is and what He's done for us, and we want it to be so clear. Now, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but jokes aren't bad. They're not wrong. It's not bad to tell stories. It's not bad to have anecdotes that go along with what we're talking about. But the important thing we want to think about and we want to remember is that if we're going to tell stories and we're going to have anecdotes and things that go with it, we want those to build up the text, not the other way around. Right, so if I'm going to tell an illustration, and I do that, we do that a lot. There's time for the story or something, but what we want to do is read the text, and this is what it says. Now let me tell you this. It helps give the sense of what the text says, not the other way around. See, oftentimes it becomes preaching, becomes lots and lots of stories and lots of anecdotes, and it's really entertaining and it's really funny. And oh, by the way, the Bible says this. And there's a verse over here that didn't even really have to do what the story was. And so we didn't get the sense. And we didn't hear God's word. We heard lots of stories. And so we want to be real clear that when we come to God's word, we open it and we're clearly giving a sense of what his word says, what he's revealed to us and what's important in it. And so we want that to be the case. Because that's what it says in verse 8. They read from the book of the law clearly and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. So they understood what God's word says. And so we want to do that. We want to be careful in doing that. Because what happens a lot of times is we'll even see, we'll go to the text and we'll read it, and we'll read the text and then start preaching, and it'll be a good thing. It may even be very biblical, it may be a good thing that's said, but it doesn't come from that text. That happens a lot. And you may think, well, what do you mean? But when people will pick a Bible passage and they'll go, I want to preach about this, so I'm going to read this, and I'm going to go here and preach about this, and they don't really go together. That's not clearly getting the sense of what the text says if we're doing that. We're just using the Bible as a prophet. Now I'm going to go tell you what I want to tell you. We want it to be clearly from God's Word that we see what God's Word says and that's what we're saying. And, and part of my job as a pastor, as a preacher, to stand up and do that is to faithfully walk you through that so that you see what I'm saying comes from this and it's not just some ideas I have. I want to be able to clearly say to you, look at verse 8, as it says, they gave the sense and they clearly read the word. And so 
So you see it coming from God's Word. And what we're doing together is we're teaching each other as a body how to read God's Word and take it. Uh, so be so careful with it that we're actually getting what it says. Because when we kind of just leave it over here and we say a lot of things, it's hard to make those connections. And we want it to be as clear as possibly can be. Because if we don't, we teach uh, poor regard for God's Word. We teach poor hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a fancy way of saying uh, how to study your Bible. And we want those things, us to be well at those, to be people of the Word just as they were. The first thing they do is meet together and read God's Word. So we want the point to come from the text when we do that, just as they're doing here. But also, I want us to think about, so what are they doing? That's what they're doing is they're explaining, but what about the other side of this? Because there's all these people in the, in the gathering together, and it's not just one side, there's, there's something else going on. As you see in verse 1, it says, And all the people gathered together at the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. The other side of how they did it is that people were eager to hear what God's word says. Bring it out and tell us what it says. We want to hear from it. And so that's the first thing they do when you see it. And then you see in verse 3 it says, And so they got together and they read, and they read all day pretty much, and it says, In the presence of all that were there, and it says they were attentive to the book of the law at the end of verse 3. That the people were attentive and they're listening. So how did they do it? It was The Bible was read and it was clearly explained that the people were attentive and they wanted to hear and they wanted to see what God was saying to them. And they were paying attention. You know, if you ever think that my sermons go kind of long, usually we're about 35 minutes and go, oh, that's kind of a long sermon. They got together at the early morning and they stayed out there all day. You know, to the middle of the day for hours and listening to God's word and they were attentive and they wanted to hear. You know, probably my favorite preacher, and I'm, I'm biased, probably my favorite preacher is my little brother Jeremiah. He's really good, but he's also my brother, so that factors into it a little bit. But I love that when he stands up, every time I can think of it, I've heard him preach, he stands up and he starts with Isaiah 40 and he talks about how the flower withers and the grass fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And then he pauses and he says, God's word is eternal, so we best pay attention to what it says. And then he starts. And he says that almost every time. And that's what we saw here. People who are attentive, that want to hear God's word. They want to hear what God is speaking. Remember, we said that's how God acts, and that's the way he moves, so we should want to hear what God's Says. And so, this morning, I want you just to think about us practically, what that looks like for us. How do we do that? How do we be attentive to God's Word? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you get here and you're tired, and you've got lots of things going through your mind, and you go, oh, this is hard to really pay attention and to listen. I just want to give you a couple things to think about to help you really be attentive to what God's Word says. And the first thing I can tell you, the best thing I can tell you is when you get here, to expect to hear God speaking. This is God's word that he gave to us to guide our lives and to show us who he is and to show us what this life is about and what is going on. And so when we gather and read it, it's not just a book. It's the God of the universe speaking to us through his word. And if we have that in our minds and our hearts as we come to it, that drastically changes the way we look at it. And that's why it's so important that we make the points from this so that that's the case we're seeing what God says. But not only that, look at verse 6, what they did before they even started. It says, So he blessed the Lord, the great God, Ezra does, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, and they lifted their hands and then they bowed their heads and they worshiped.
do we be attentive when we come together to hear God's word and we gather? Is you need to be worshiping before you get here. You wake up in the morning and you be on your face praying and asking God and you come together as a body of believers and we're going to open God's word. What do you want to show me from your word? When you think about that, if you're a Christian and you put your faith in Christ, that means you now have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And when you show up here and we sit down and we open God's word, God's spirit is inside of you going, listen to what my word says. This is how I act and this is how I speak. This is how things happen. And so getting your mind ready and worshiping and thinking about that before you come. Maybe it's praying. Maybe it's listening to your own favorite worship music as you come to church. Or uh, maybe the songs we sang today weren't your favorite. But guess what? If you listen to your music before you got here, you're, you're preparing your heart and your thoughts and you're ready. And it will help you to be that much more uh, attentive as you get here. This is a very practical one. But be rested. Right? If this is hearing from God's word, when we gather together and we're opening God's word and we're seeing what it says, shouldn't we? this be some kind of priority in our lives each week? And that doesn't mean that only happens here. It should be happening throughout the week as you read God's word. But we should treat this as this is an important thing. That we don't just stay up really late on Saturday and drag in here so tired this week that it's really hard to pay attention. Right? So to be rested is a very practical way to do this. Let me just give you two other things that help you to be attentive. And this is really important for us as a body of believers. But I want to challenge you that whenever, whoever is preaching here, whether it's me or whether it's Chris or there's a guest or whoever might be here preaching, I want you to be thinking is they, or am I or whoever's up there, is he getting his points from what the text says? Is he actually making his points from the Bible or is he just saying some stuff and the Bible's a prop? Am I actually showing you what it says? Now, if you're visiting with us or you're new or maybe you just haven't noticed this before, I almost always ask three questions. Not always, but most of the time. And the reason I do that is I want to ask questions that the text then answers so you clearly see how I got what I'm saying. So I can show you, well, what did they do? Well, they got together and they read God's Word. And how did they do it? They clearly explained it. I'm showing you where it comes from. And I want you to be thinking about that. I want us as a body, as you leave here, going, what is Nehemiah chapter 8? Why did God inspire that? What does that tell us as a people of God? What, what should we take away from that? And so be looking, do those points come from what the text says? And then take it one step further. When you leave here with your spouse or your friend or whoever, somebody else in the church, whoever it may be, when we have covered dishes, it's a great opportunity, ask them. What, what was God showing you out of Nehemiah 8? What did you get from it? What did you see in this passage? What did God reveal to you? What was this Holy Spirit saying to you as that was written? Start to talk about it. Because what will happen is, and I get this all the time, people will be leaving in the boat. This is really great. Thank you. I've got whatever. I'll go. I don't even think I said that. And that's not that what they said was bad. But that's God's Spirit moving and revealing things to them that maybe I didn't think I made that point very well at all. And so you start to see God moving in different ways and revealing things to different people. And as we begin to talk about that, it helps us. Think about if, if that's in your mind that I'm going to talk to so-and-so about this afterwards, how much more attentive will be? I want to know what he heard. I want to know what God was showing him. And then, then do that together, and that will lead us to be more attentive as we listen and we come to God's Word. It's the same thing in your own study. 
When we do Bible studies together, you get together and you read the Word with somebody, you say, oh, God, show me this. And they go, well, look, look what I see here. And you start to look and help each other and guide each other. So let's, th- those are just some very practical things of how we can be attentive listeners just as they are. All right, so that's the first two things. What happens is they read God's Word and the second is they clearly explain how people very attentive and listen. But then what happens as a result? And there's two things I want us to look at that happen here as a result. Look at verse number uh, 9 with me. And it says at the end of verse 9, so they read it and they said, they told the people, the day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So they got together and the Bible was read and it was clearly explained and the people wept. And I think they left to think about what they were reading and where they came from and what they had just seen and what would just happen. And what the preachers say to them in response to it. But I think they left because they were convicted. They were convicted of sin. They saw the, the things that had come because they had totally uh, refused to believe God's word and to not follow it. I want you to think of it. They just returned from exile, right? People were coming back and reestablishing and they just rebuilt the temple that had been torn down and all this stuff. And then I would think that, that here was Ezra standing up and reading Deuteronomy about as you take this land going way back, don't turn to other gods. And don't turn your back on God. And read God's word and teach it to your kids and make sure everybody knows it and you tell it to one another and do that. And as they heard that, to think of all the things that they didn't do and what the consequences of that were, and to see that. And so the first thing we see is they were convicted by God's word, and they, they wept. And, and a lot of times that's what happens when we read God's word, whether it's here together or it's individually. God convicts us and shows us our faults and where we're not trusting him. Right? Hebrews says that God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it tears us open and it lays us bare and it shows where we're deficient and where we're not trusting God. It's a really encouraging thing, isn't it, to come? Come here and you'll get laid there and you'll see where all your deficiencies. That's a hard thing sometimes to hear. But God does that, but then that's not where it ends. They're not just all weeping and mourning and go off sad. They say, no, 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 don't weep. Don't do that. Rejoice. And you look at verse 11 and 12. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send fortunes to make great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. So how do they go from weeping to rejoicing? What happens here? And I think when you look at this, if you're hearing God's word and they're seeing all the things that clearly led to their exile and all the bad things that had happened, and now they see that they've returned and there's this picture of God's graciousness in the way that he's come alongside and he's brought them back and he's done these things despite how wrong they've been. Despite their sin, God's grace is restoring them and bringing them back. And the Levites are going around explaining it to them. Look what God's doing. God's promises are still in effect. Remember in this series we started with Abraham and God's promises, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you people. I'm going to do all these things. Well, God's still faithful. Even though he allowed the Babylonians to come in and the Persians and all these things, he's still bringing you back. And he's still faithful and the people begin to rejoice. Their sin is exposed, but God's grace is seen and they rejoice. It's the same thing when we gather together each week. We gather together and we read from God's word and we see where we're deficient 
and how we're sinful and how our heart is deceitful many times and we do things that we shouldn't and we turn our backs. And then there's the story that we've been looking at that God comes into the story as Jesus and he says, I love you so much that I came to live the life that you couldn't live. And I came to do what you couldn't do on your own and I died the death that you deserve and I give you my grace as a free gift. And so we get laid there by God's scripture, but there's Jesus always returning us and saying, come to me and repent and give your stuff to me. Yes, you're not perfect, and yes, you've made mistakes, and yes, you've messed up, and yes, you've returned to your vomit over and over. But here I am. Give it to me, and I will restore you, and I will make you new, and I will give you these things, and so we can go away rejoicing. And so each week we come back to that. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. We come back to the centrality of the gospel, what Jesus does for us, because without that we're hopelessly lost. Without that, we don't have anything else. It's what God does for us in Christ, and so we come back to that. And so when we talk about being clear in what the Word says, and showing it and making our points for Scripture, we want to make sure make certain that we're doing that because his word all the way through points to Christ and what he's done for us. It's all in there, all the way through. And so that's why we let his word be the center because it points us to Christ and what he's done for us and how we can be reconciled to God. And then it becomes all about him and nothing else. If there's a lot of really great stories and jokes and you go, what a great speaker. He was so funny. He was so entertaining. And then you leave rejoicing. What are you rejoicing over? I'm rejoicing over a good speaker. I had fun or I was entertained. I want you to leave rejoicing over the God of the universe who loved you so much that he comes down and he does what you can't do for you. That's why we take great care to say, this is what it says. It is God's word that does the work. It's not a great speaker. It's not a funny preacher or somebody who's really got lots of stuff. It's God's word that does the work. And so that's why Nehemiah 8, when we see this, it's so important that we stop and we reflect on what God's doing and the way he restores and the way he, he creates the way he does things, that it's through his word and what he does for us. And so we want to be certain that we are always so clear in saying that it's God's word as we gather to hear let that be the thing as we point to him. That it's not about us, but his word points us to Christ and what he's done for us. Let's pray. No, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are so loving and gracious that you forgive our faults that you come to us, offering us life, that through repentance that we can be returned to you because of what you've done on our behalf. And so we just pray that uh, as we gather each week that we would be all about your glory and your honor and who you are and what you've done for us, that we would be faithful to hold to your word and to point to it and what it tells us, that when we're tempted to downplay the things it says because of our common sense or whatever may start to pop up that we would just hold to your word and let it stay over us and that it would point us to you and that you would be glorified in all things. We thank you for what you do for us and we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.